Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen.
So Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. And right before he gets ready to ascend to heaven, he tells his disciples and apostles that were gathered there with him on the mount where he departed from, he says, go to the city of Jerusalem and remain there until you be endued with power from on high. Go and wait until the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So in about 10 days, the birth of the church was about to take place and Jesus was not about to let his disciples evangelize a lost world based on their own strength, their own experience, their own religious beliefs, and not even on the three years of ministry that they spent with the Lord Jesus himself teaching them. He wasn't going to uh, let them evangelize the world with that kind of power. He says that the, the work that lies before you is going to require more than your abilities and more than your experience. They were going to need a power that didn't come from this earth. They were going to need a power that came from heaven, that came from on high. And that power was in the Holy Spirit. So no earthly power would be capable of building his church. The church that Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against was not going to be built by mortal men of themselves. It was going to be built by men, but they were going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit from on high. So he says, go and wait until the Holy Spirit falls on you and endues you with this power. Wait. So Pentecost Sunday is the day that we celebrate and remember when and how that anointing took place. It's, it's like Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. Easter, or Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Today, we're celebrating the birthday of the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why I said this is not to just a denomination. This is a, to the entire body of believers. We should all be celebrating the birthday of the church. Yes. And while they're all huddled in an upper room, they heard something the Bible described as a mighty rushing wind. It didn't say the Holy Spirit was a mighty rushing wind. It said it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. Yes. And then they saw what appeared to be tons of fire that sat upon each and every one of them that was in that upper room. 120 people in all. They started out with 500, but apparently 380 of them was impatient and couldn't wait. But the 120 that did wait, we're only talking about 10 days or so, they were all in unity in one accord, and they prayed through till the day of Pentecost came, and that's when the Holy Spirit fell and filled them all with the Holy Spirit. So the 380 that couldn't wait, they were too busy, they had other things to do, they didn't feel good, they were tired, whatever reason they had for missing church that day, they missed out on the greatest blessing that ever fell on the church, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing to get the job done that was laid before them, and that was the building of Christ's church. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit fills every one of them, and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Amen. So now the Spirit is involved in the ministry of the church. The Spirit is involved in the ministry of each and every believer that was up in that upper room. There were people gathered in Jerusalem that, that 
particular day from every corner of the known world, every language, every dialect from every corner of the world was present there in Jerusalem because it was the day of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost. How many knows? God knows what he's doing. Amen. 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 He didn't have the Holy Ghost fall on a, on a weekday when nobody would be in Jerusalem. He didn't have the, the Holy Ghost fall on a day that wasn't a national holiday for the Jews because he wanted Jerusalem full. He not only wanted it full of Jews, but he wanted it full of Gentiles from yes. all over the world. Yes. Yes. God knows what he's doing. Yes. God is smart. Yes. I like what Mark Hankins says. He says the Holy Ghost is a genius. Hallelujah. Yes. You got a genius living inside of you. Yes. And why you go to the world and ask questions to get your answers, I don't know. You got a genius living inside yes. of you. Ask him what you need to know. Hallelujah. Yes. So anyway, Pentecost is the day when God empowered the church to be a witness to the world and begin to convert them to the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the day that began. What a job they had before them. Jesus couldn't evangelize the world by himself being one man. Well, I thought he was God. He is God. But he's not a 50-50 blend, half man, half God. He was all man, anointed of the Holy Ghost, and that's how he ministered in the earth. But he was just one man. So I'm sure if he could have got the job done, if he could have evangelized the entire world by himself, he would have did it. Hallelujah. But he wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't everywhere at all times in his human form. He was limited. Yes. He was only one man anointed of God with the Holy Ghost and power. Yes. Amen. It would take more than one man to evangelize an entire world with the gospel. So God decided the best way for that to happen was not by the singular ministry of his son Jesus, but through a whole lot of men and women that were empowered and anointed to do the job. And, and, and over every single Christian that's born of God, born of the Holy Ghost, he put that responsibility on them. Preach the gospel to every creature. He said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. Yes. So how can this be accomplished? Not by Jesus himself, not by one man. By filling every believer with the same Holy Ghost yes. and power yes. that Jesus was filled with. Amen. And now let me show you how important the infilling of the Holy Ghost is to God and how he emphasized the importance of it in the Bible itself. Now we have what are called the synoptic gospels. That's the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means that they are similar. And it means that you can set them side by side and find marked similarities between all three of the, the, the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, that's all synoptic means. In other words, it indicates that the contents of these three Gospels can be viewed side by side and you can see marked uh, similarities. Right. Mm -hmm. But the Gospel of John differs, and it differs considerably from the first three Gospels in content, and so it can't be viewed as similar or synoptic. You can't stand it alongside the other three Gospels and find marked similarities between John's Gospels and the other three. So it stands alone. And the Synoptic Gospels have their differences, but often recount the same events, but just 
uh, based on the personal views of the different writers or the different authors, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, and, and with, but with more or less detail. Uh, Luke would give more detail concerning healing, uh, the healing ministry of Jesus, yes. because Luke was a physician. Yes. And so Mark and, and, and Matthew, they would uh, mention the particular event or healing, but they didn't go into any elaborate detail on it. But they all had the same event in their gospel writing. And so uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke start with the birth of Jesus, and then they skip from the birth of Jesus. They, they go from Bethlehem all the way to the third year of his ministry with the beheading of John the Baptist. So they skip quite a bit of Jesus' ministry, and, and that's pretty much all that they covered, all three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's pretty much all that they covered in their Gospels. They didn't record the events that occurred in the first two years of Jesus' ministry. And that in itself makes them similar or synoptic. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their Gospels in about 40 A.D. And John wrote his 30 years later. So John had the advantage of reading the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I'm pretty sure, I'm almost certain, I'm just about positive that he noticed they didn't write anything about Jesus' first two years in ministry. And maybe that's why John's gospel is so different. Maybe that's why John's gospel stands alone. He included the first two years of Jesus' ministry. And what an interesting two years. So John didn't start his gospel with the birth of Jesus like the others did. He started in chapter 1 of his gospel with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So in other words, he tells us Jesus' origin. He was with the Father, and He was with the Word, and He was with the Holy Ghost in the beginning. And then he tells us later that Jesus became flesh. So we didn't know any of this before we read John's Gospel. And then he identifies Christ as being the Word. Hallelujah. Uh, the others did. In chapter 2, John tells about the wedding at Cana and it being where Jesus performed his first miracle. In chapter 3, he records Nicodemus and the talk that him and Jesus had at night about the new birth. In chapter 4, he tells us about the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well and the conversation that he had with her and so many women since that, just like her, same situation. In chapter 5, John tells us about the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Chapter 6, he recorded Jesus saying that he was the bread of life that came down from heaven. And then in chapter 7, he talks about Jesus going to the Feast of Tabernacles. John recorded the woman taken in adultery in chapter 8, chapter 9, Lazarus being raised from the dead. So he, uh, I just give you nine examples, but he did this throughout his gospel. He had interesting things in there that the synoptic gospels didn't tell us about. And a lot of times when somebody gets born again, they don't know where to start. We tell them, start reading with the book of John. And so uh, none of the other writers shared these things, but here's the main difference, and this is what I've been working up to uh, by giving you those examples, and this is what is really significant to Pentecost. 
they all recorded the Last Supper, all four of them. So they were similar in that. And uh, John, in, in his record of the Last Supper, he used three full chapters, chapters 14, 15, and 16, to give to us the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples at the Last Supper. The other writers didn't give that information. And it is really interesting. See, none of these things were included in the other Gospels, and that's why John's Gospel is not similar. It's not synoptic. It stands alone. But that doesn't mean he had a different Gospel. There's only one Gospel, not four. There's only one Gospel with one author, who's the Holy Ghost, but four different writers. And so the Gospel doesn't change. It's the writer's points of view that changes. It's how the writers uh, deem things important or less important or more important. And, and they emphasize those things where the other ones don't. But it's still the same gospel. Yes. John's is still the same gospel. It yes. just includes a couple yes. more years of Jesus' ministry. And thank God that he did. We learned so much from John. But here's something really interesting. There are a lot of events included by all three of the synoptic writers. I mean, you know, in many cases, all three of them seen something that was interesting to them. And then in some cases, only two of the writers wrote about an event. So they thought it was interesting. The other two didn't, or the other one didn't. And so in similarities, they wrote much of the same stuff, but with different twists. But there are only two major things that all four of the gospel writers recorded. All four of them recorded two major things. One was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All four of them wrote about that. And that really is the gospel in a nutshell. That's what the gospel is. It's the death, burial, and resurrection, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the other thing that they all wrote about was the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Amen. So to me, that's pretty significant. Yes. That had to be an important event for them all four to write about. Amen. The baptism of the Holy Ghost in all four Gospels. Now don't get me wrong, every word in the Bible is significant. Yes. Every Gospel is significant. Every writer is significant. Yes. But when uh, you have four of the Gospel writers, uh, without exception, all write about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we need to pay really close attention to that because it must be extremely important to God to make sure that the Holy Ghost included it in all four Gospels. Would you agree? Yes. So God was extremely concerned with two things. People hearing the Gospel. Amen. I believe God wants everybody to hear the Gospel. And the other thing was he wants everybody infilled or baptized in the Holy Spirit yes. and power. Yes. So as they're celebrating the Passover meal, the Last Supper, as we call it, actually it was the Passover meal. And we have to remember, even though Jesus is, is uh, included in the Gospels, which are in our New Testament, these were Old Testament times. And I know for a fact, Jesus, as an Old Testament Jew, he observed every one of the Jewish holidays, all the feasts, all the celebrations, he partook in all of them. So they're celebrating the Passover meal, the Last Supper, and Jesus begins to share with his disciples some significant information concerning the future. 
And this was going to be the last time that he would share anything with them while he was alive on the earth before the crucifixion, the last time. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I was on a deathbed or I knew I was going to die in a day or two, I would call my family to me and I would tell them something that was significant and important because yeah. this is the last chance I get to tell them. I would tell them my last wishes. I would tell them each one what I expected them to do, maybe how to split the inheritance or whatever. We're getting it all to our poodle, so that won't be a problem. Right. But I would be concerned with something significant and important. So Jesus, knowing this, he begins to talk to them in verses in chapter 14, 15, and 16 uh, and telling them his last wishes and what he expects of them and what he wants for them in the future. So the main thing that he shared was in John chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17. I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified. John 14, 15 through 17. He says to his disciples, and he says to you and I, if you really love me, you will keep and obey my commandments. If you do, then, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And that word helper is from the Greek word parakletos. And it means several things, but mainly it means one called alongside to help. That's what it means. He says, I will send you someone that you can call alongside to help. Yes. And uh, so he says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. And the Amphite breaks it down because, it, like I said, it means several things. Uh, it means comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby. That's all the, 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 the helper it includes everything that the helper is going to help us with. He's going to comfort us. He's going to advocate for us when we get in trouble. He's going to intercede for us in prayer. He's going to counsel us. He's going to strengthen us when we need it. And he's going to stand by for anything else that we might need. And so this is a wonderful promise. And, and then he adds this, to be with you forever. Now Jesus was only with them about 33 years. He couldn't be with them in the form of a human forever. Right. But this comforter that he sent in will be with them forever. This helper will be with them forever. In verse 17, he said, The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive and take to its heart. In other words, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, if you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power, then you have to first of all be born again. Amen. You can't get filled with the Holy Ghost if you're in the world. Amen. Amen. So then he says, uh, take to its heart because it does not see him or know him. The world doesn't see him. The world don't recognize him. The world don't want to know him. But you know him because he is, he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. Now, this is news to the disciples because the Holy Spirit never indwelled anybody before Jesus. Right. I mean, the Spirit would come upon Samson and he would do amazing feats and, yes. and uh, amazing miracles of strength. And then the, uh, the Spirit would depart. Yes. 
The spirit would come upon David and he killed the Goliath yes. and then the spirit would depart. Yes. It never remained upon them. It never was in them. But now Jesus is telling them something that's mind-blowing. He said the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, will not only come upon you, but he will remain in you. He'll fill you. So that's quite a promise. So this is the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus told them about and told them to wait for in Jerusalem. He was prophesying to his disciples that he would send another comforter. So that means there had to be a comforter before this comforter. There had to be a helper before this helper. And that helper was Jesus Christ himself. Because when he was with the disciples in bodily form, he did all the things that he described that the helper would do. And so he's saying, I'm going to send you nothing. As a matter of fact, he said, it's expedient that I leave you so that I can send another helper, another comforter. And so uh, in other words, Jesus' ministry was coming to an end on the earth. There was nothing else he could do. He trained his disciples, and then he's going to send them to Jerusalem to wait to be endued with power from on high, and then they're going to get baptized in the Holy Ghost and power. They're going to go out and get somebody else baptized in the Holy Ghost and power, and they're going to go out and get somebody baptized in the Holy Ghost and power, and this is how the church is going to grow and be empowered. And Jesus even said that the works that I do shall you do also in greater works than these. How can we do greater works than God? Because there's more of us than there was of him. I told you God is a genius. He knows what he's doing. Hallelujah. So he's getting ready to ascend to heaven and he tells him, I'm going to send you another helper, another uh Comforter. Yes. That word another in the Greek means one identical to the first. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to send you a helper that's identical to me. Mm-hmm. And he said this comforter, this helper would abide with us forever. Jesus is departing. And that word abide means to take up residence, to dwell, to be present with, to stay, to remain. Yes. And this is talking about being filled with the Holy yes. Spirit. Yes. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're always filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. He don't come and go when he pleases. He don't come and go like he did in the Old Testament. He's there to take up residence. He's a permanent party. Hallelujah. So Jesus was the first one to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. In John 1, 32 uh, through 34, in the New King James Version, it says, And John bore witness. In other words, he saw Jesus get baptized with the Holy Ghost. He said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. Now, if you remember, Jesus went to the Jordan River where John was baptizing, and he says to baptize me. And so John baptizes him, in the Jordan, and when Jesus comes up out of the water, yes. this is when he sees the Spirit yes. of God, the Holy Ghost, descending on him like a dove. Yes. He ain't a dove. Right. Yes. And he remained upon him and uh, descended in the form of a, a, a dove because the Holy Ghost is a spirit. He's invisible, so God had to give John something that he could see. Right. And so he he gave the Holy Spirit a form of a dove so John could see him. Now, y'all are looking kind of tense this morning. So maybe I better give you a little humor. Let me tell you a little joke. Pastor Robert Morris told a story about this preacher who had an 
old vent in the ceiling of his church. It was right above his pulpit. It would be like right up there, a vent. So he had this young boy go up there and remove the vent and take this dove up there with him. So he's preaching about the Holy Ghost. And so for dramatic effect, he tells the boy, when I say the Holy Ghost descended like a dove, he says, you drop the dove down through that vent. You got that? And the little boy says, I got it. He goes up in the attic with the dove. So he finally gets to that point in the sermon. He said, and the Holy Ghost descended like a dove. Nothing happened. I said the Holy Ghost descended like a dove. Still nothing happened. I said, about that time, the little boy with a shaky voice hollers down. He says, Pastor, a cat ate the Holy Ghost. You want me to throw the cat down? <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I can't overemphasize how important being full of the Holy Spirit is. But it's not just to give you goosebumps. It's not just to get you to talk in tongues. It's not even to get you to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Those are all benefits of being filled with the Holy Ghost. You can have a powerful prayer life when you pray in His language. Because He said you pray the perfect will of God. Hallelujah. It's called a heavenly language. Paul called it praying in the Spirit. Praying with my understanding and praying in the Spirit. In other words, I don't understand everything I'm praying about. And when I don't, I can pray in the Holy Ghost. I can pray in tongues and pray the perfect will of God for that situation I'm praying about, the unknown. Hallelujah. So it's a wonderful benefit of being filled with yes. the Holy Ghost. Yes. Plus, you have to be filled with the Holy Ghost if you want to operate in the nine gifts of the Spirit. Yes. And these are things that the church needs. Yes. Not just the Pentecostals yes. like us, but the entire body of Christ yes. needs these gifts. Yes. Amen. Yes. So God wants everybody filled with the Holy Ghost. <coughs> so here's, here's the thing. We have to understand, again, the Holy Ghost is the most powerful being on the earth. And as we study the Bible, we learned that every amazing thing that was ever done was actually done by and through the Holy Ghost. In the beginning, God spoke the word, but it was the Holy Ghost that carried the word out. God said, let there be light. And bam, the Holy Ghost created light and caused light to come into the earth. And every time the word spoke, the Holy Ghost moved. As a matter of fact, it said in the beginning, in the King James Version, uh, that the Holy Ghost was hovering over the face of the deep. Yes. And the world was without form and void. Well, we know that wasn't the original creation. That was uh, that happened after the original creation. That happened with a cataclysmic disaster of some type that Satan has something to do with. But now uh, the light had been removed from the earth, and now the Holy Ghost is hovering over the darkness of the deep. Yes. And all of a sudden, God says, let there be light. Bam, the Holy Ghost goes to work. And he brings light. God gives the command. But he, he gives the word. And the Holy Ghost carries it out. Yes. But the Holy Ghost is just as much of a God as all of them. Yes. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Yes. yes. And we have to understand that. He's not some kind of slave or servant. He's not some under, under servant of some type. He is God. Hallelujah. Yes. So everything Jesus did in his earthly ministry was done by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
When Jesus needed something done, he spoke the word. Yes. He said, come out of him. To, to a demon-possessed person, he said, come out of him. And the Holy Ghost would kick that demon right out of that person. Yes. He said, be healed. Be made whole. Yes. And the Holy Ghost will enter that person and drive sickness and disease out of his body yes. and heal him and make him whole. Yes. The Holy Ghost was the power behind Jesus' ministry. Yes. Yes. It wasn't Jesus that turned the water into wine. It was the Holy Ghost. Yes. Jesus yes. just spoke the word. Yes. The Holy Ghost carried it out. The Holy Ghost is hovering over our lives right now, yes. waiting for the word to be spoken. Yes. And he's probably pretty bored with yes. most of us because yes. we don't speak the word. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. I don't want to go there yet. But Acts 10.38 tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. How was God with him? God, the Holy Ghost, was in him. Yes. That's how he was with him. Yes. And he went everywhere he went. Jesus used the same power of the Holy Ghost to heal people, to set them free, to raise them from the dead, and perform all kinds of miracles and wondrous works. Jesus was teaching by example the very thing that he would expect his church, you and I, to do yes. when we were baptized yes. with the yes. Holy Ghost. And we're not supposed to be sitting on our blessed assurance. Yes. We should be out there filled with the Holy Ghost, yes. doing good, and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Yes. Amen. Yes. Preaching the word, casting out the devil, yes. laying hands on the sick. Yes. These are the things that we should be doing. And we're sitting in the church on our hands. Yes. The modern church doesn't look anything like the early church in the book yes. of Acts. And because it doesn't, we must not be doing it right. If we're not seeing miracles, if we're not seeing people get saved, if we're not seeing people get filled with the Holy Ghost and teaching them to be disciples, we're not doing it like the early church. We need to change some things. And judgment begins with the house of God. It begins with us. Hallelujah. Don't be looking at the Baptists and the Methodists and the Catholics. Don't be looking at none of them. Look at yourself. Look at our church. Yes. Let me show you something else interesting concerning the Feast of Pentecost that we're celebrating today. It's not just a holiday. It's not just something that we celebrate. It's more than just a birthday. Uh, in Leviticus 23, verses 1 through 4, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Holy convocations. These feasts are something that are holy. They are commanded by God. He says in verse 3, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. There's a season for every one of these feasts. And, and I just want to say something this about the Sabbath and not being able to work on the Sabbath. 
That changed with the New Testament. Jesus said, the Sabbath was not made for you. You were made for the Sabbath. So if you work on a Sunday, God understands that. But he does expect you to find some kind of way to get to church, to get with a body believer, to pray with a body believer, to hear the word coming from a pastor, and he expects you to have fellowship with other believers. But he don't have a problem if you have to work on what the world calls the Sabbath. Amen. So then God gave them a description of the seven feasts that they were to observe and celebrate forever. Forever. And, and why are these feasts so important? Because God's eternal plan from creation to eternity is revealed through the nature and the timing of these seven annual feasts of the Lord. Yes. Christians are not required to observe these feasts in the same manner that the Jews are. But knowledge of them enhances and increases our faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's why I want you to have an understanding of these seven feasts because they will bring more faith to you. These feasts are prophetic models. Now we know what models are. And, and the models that we have are no good because the information that goes into them is uh, the model is only as good as the information that goes into them and they've been fed some poor information and so they're giving us poor projections but these prophetic models are accurate to the letter and they portray the entire human race including the church that now exists between two of these seven feasts the feast of pentecost which we're celebrating today and the Feast of Trumpets. Mm -hmm. God gave Moses the dates and, uh, and observances of the seventh feast on Mount Sinai, the same place that he received the Ten Commandments, the Holy Mountain. But let's look at the seventh feast that God described, at least briefly, in Leviticus 23, because they're significantly important to what we're learning this morning about Pentecost. Number one is the Feast of Passover, which is in the Jewish language, Pesach. Number two, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Chag Hamasi. The Feast of First Fruits, number three, Yom Habakurim. Number four is the Feast of Pentecost, what we're at, uh, celebrating today, which is Shabbat. The Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruhah. And the Feast of Atonement, number six, Yom Kippur. And number seven is the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Now, the Jewish calendar is different from our calendar. The Jewish calendar, and it's also God's calendar, if you will, it's the one he goes by because it's based on the solar system. It's not based on what man wants to do, change times, and uh, let's, let's have Thanksgiving pop up on a Thursday, and let's change Christmas to next Wednesday. God's calendar is based on the moon. Right, right. So it's a lunar calendar. And, and unlike our calendar, each month in the lunar calendar begins with a new moon. The first three feasts, the feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, and the first fruits, fall in our March and April. It's Nisan. Uh, the 15th through the 17th, I believe, in the Jewish calendar. But we call it March and April. Beginning with the Feast of Passover, Pesach, which falls on the first full moon of spring. The fourth feast, Shabbat, or Pentecost, 
mark the summer harvest and occurs in late May or early June. That's why we're celebrating it today. We're in late May, coming into early June. It's a time to give thanks and to look forward to a harvest. Because God waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Amen. And the precious fruit of the earth is the harvest of souls. Yes. Yes. Jesus said, look on the hills, look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Yes. He says, my, 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 my fields are full, but my laborers are few. Yes. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Yes, sir. He's getting more laborers to go into that harvest field, and we should be thanking God for a harvest of souls in this church and in our ministry. Yes. Yes. The last three feasts, Trumpets, which is Yom Teruah, the Feast of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, happen in September and October. So Pentecost Sunday that we're celebrating today is based on Shabbat, the Feast of Pentecost. Leviticus 23, 15-16 says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, or the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Now, one Sabbath to another is seven days. It's like Sunday to Sunday. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So in late May or early June, Pentecost, that marked the summer harvest. And Leviticus 23, 17 requires an offering of two loaves of bread baked with leaven. Now leaven in the New Testament is symbolic of sin. So the two loaves that are baked with leaven, they represent and are symbolic of the church being made up of Jews, who have sinned, and Gentiles who have sinned. So that's the two loaves of bread. They're symbolic of the church and what the makeup of the church is going to be. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. A Gentile is anything but a Jew. You're either saved or you're unsaved. Amen? Amen. Amen. But the first four feasts were in the spring revealing that, number one, Jesus was crucified on the Feast of Passover. See, these feasts weren't placed there as happenstance. They all had a purpose. They're prophetic models of what was to come. They were shadows and types of things that were to come. Yes. And so uh, Jesus was crucified on the feast of Passover, buried on the feast of unleavened bread, ra- unleavened bread, remember that, raised on the feast of first fruits, and then he sent the Holy Spirit on the Feast of Pentecost. That's what happened in that upper room. That's what we're celebrating this morning. Because we haven't seen the fulfillment of Feast number five yet, which is the Feast of Trumpets, the church remains under the order of Pentecost. We're still in Pentecost. Uh, We're still living in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is an ongoing book. It hasn't been completed yet. It's a continuation of the church. And so we're living in Pentecost. We're living in the book of Acts. We're living in what's called the church age. All right, everybody understands that? Yes. Pentecost began 50 
days. Remember the 50? Pentecost began 50 days after the Sabbath that was just before the resurrection of Christ and will continue until the Feast of Trumpets when the church will be raptured. Now, I don't know the times or the seasons, but I know the signs. And he gave us a prophetic model of the Feast of Trumpets. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Don't quote me a pastor said he knows when Jesus right. is coming back for the church. I don't know when he's coming back, but i got a sneaky feeling it's going to be during the Feast of Trumpets. In right. yeah. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. I'm telling you, church, the next time we hear a trumpet from heaven and a shout from heaven, yes. we're out of here. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. The seven feasts of Israel are timeless. They were to the Jews at that time in the wilderness all the way to the end of the... Uh, they'll be here for eternity. We will celebrate these feasts in heaven. That's how important they are. Yes. They're timeless. Seven feasts seven prophetic models, types and shadows of things to come. The first three feasts have been precisely and accurately fulfilled to the letter. They're fulfilled. That feast is fulfilled. Amen? Amen. And it was fulfilled accurately because the information that went into that model came from God. Yes. Amen. So... The Feast of Passover was a prophetic model for the sacrifice of Christ. It's been fulfilled. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a prophetic model of, for Jesus Christ. The bread of life, the unleavened bread that came down from heaven, sinless, without sin, that, that came down from heaven, it's been fulfilled. The Feast of First Fruits was a prophetic model for the resurrection of Christ because he was the first fruits to be resurrected from among the dead. The first one to ever be resurrected unto new life. Now, people are thinking, well, he raised a widow of Nain and he raised Lazarus and he raised other people from the dead. No, he just took somebody whose health failed and restored them to health, but they eventually had to die again. This resurrection is speaking of a Savior that will never die again. And when he resurrects this mortal body, this mortal body will never die again. That's a resurrection. Jesus was the first fruit, and it's been fulfilled. Now that brings us to today. That brings us to the Feast of Pentecost, which has only been partially fulfilled because it's still being fulfilled. We're still writing the book of Acts. And that's why this church should look exactly like the church in the book of Acts because we're supposed to be a continuation. But we've allowed the devil, or the early church allowed the devil to get in there and cause division and split the church. And so they went to this denomination and that denomination and another denomination. And I'm not talking about religions. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ is split and divided into denomination because of man's ideas. So we got to get back to that book, to, to that church that is in the book of Acts. And we need to duplicate that church exactly like it was modeled for us. Yes. yes. So we're still living in the Feast of Pentecost. 
We're still in the church age. The church age will end when the last trumpet is sounded and the church is raptured. That will be the end of the church age. Leviticus 23, 15 and 16 in the Amplified says this. You shall count from the day after the Sabbath from the day when you brought in the sheaf, tithe bundle of grain of the wave offering, first fruits, the resurrection. That's what that represented. There should be seven complete Sabbaths. Remember, a Sabbath to Sabbath is seven days. So seven full weeks equals 49 days. Verse 16, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, which will put you on Sunday. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. And God is so meticulous and his word is so accurate, accurate and he's so smart. He said to number seven Sabbaths from the Sabbath before the Feast of First Fruits. So if we count seven Sabbaths from the Sabbath before the, first, before the Feast of the First Fruits, which was the resurrection, seven times seven is 49. But then the Bible says on the morrow after the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, so it's seven times seven equals 49 plus one day, the day after the Sabbath, which gives us their Sabbath was a Saturday. And so that's 50 days, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost in the Greek actually means 50th day. Amen. I told you God was smart. Amen. So the Holy Ghost fell in that upper room on the first day of the week, on a Sunday, and filled every believer in the, in the upper room that day, and they were born again. The church was born on Pentecost Sunday. Happy Pentecost. Right. Amen. So in our opening scripture, we read Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. I just want to read verse 8 again. It's going to make more sense for us now. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. He wants us to be witnesses to the entire world. So the real purpose of Pentecost is to empower the church to be witnesses and preach the gospel to every creature. The Old Testament period of law was finished and the new covenant was being ushered in. That's Pentecost. So those who believe in Jesus as the Messiah during this present age, the church age, becomes the body or the bride of Christ known as the church. And the church age began at Pentecost, and it will conclude when Christ removes the church at the rapture or the Feast of Trumpets. That's why I said we're still living in the book of Acts. We're still living in Pentecost. Amen. Pentecost don't end. Amen? Amen. So uh, the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of prophecy. Acts 2.1 says, when the day of Pentecost in the King James was fully come. But in the original Greek, it literally reads, as the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. Right. So this is the day of Pentecost. It's still being fulfilled. Yes, man. So what was being fulfilled and is still being fulfilled is the prophet, uh, or the, the prophecy that was given by the prophet Joel. And Peter even quoted it in, the, in, in Acts 
when he preached the first sermon to the newly born church, he said that concerning the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that they had just witnessed, he said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days. We're in the last days. The last days began on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. He said, what was spoken by the prophet Joel, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Say all. All, all flesh. Your sons and your daughters yes. shall prophesy. Yes. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. For those of you in the church world, not this church, but those of you in the church world that don't believe in women pastors, what do you do with this scripture? Scratch it out of the Bible, tear the page out. He poured his spirit out upon everybody. Amen. Amen. Children alike. So when Pentecost occurred, the Holy Spirit came as prophesied, baptized the believers into the body of Christ, and empowered them to be witnesses for Jesus in all the earth. The modern day church, our church, needs an outpouring like they had on the day of Pentecost. Yes. We become lazy, church. I'm telling you, we become lazy and comfortable. We're spoiled, hallelujah. We think this is church. Church is out there. This is where the church meets once a week, twice a week. Soon to be twice a week. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power now more than ever before. And it's more important now than it's ever been. And the reason our country and the rest of the world is in such chaos, chaos right now is because of a powerless, uncommitted, prayerless church failing to do her job. We can't be spectators any longer. You know, most of Jesus' followers were spectators. He had the one, the three, and the twelve and most of the rest of them just followed them around to see a miracle or get a free meal. They were spectators. And it's time that the church quit spectating and get involved in what Jesus is doing. Yes. Yes. I mean the whole church, yes. the universal church, the body of Christ, and especially our church. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But we just can't be spectators any longer. If we don't get filled with the Spirit of God and take our place, then the devil is going to do exactly what he's doing right now and running over everybody. And this is where a lot of us fall short because we fail to get filled with the Holy Ghost and operating power. And you know what? We're a Pentecostal church. But like I said, Pentecost is not for the Pentecostals. It's not for tongue-talkers. Uh, it's not for Bible thumpers. It's not for devil casters, hours. It's not for uh, uh, just operating in the gifts of the Spirit. This is for the whole body of Christ so that they'll be empowered to be witnesses and get this church built for Jesus Christ. Not my church, not your church, his church. We go to church, we listen to the word, we look like Christians, talk like Christians, act like Christians, but when it comes to evangelizing a uh, lost world, we've fallen terribly short. Yes. Not just short, terribly short. 
Paul described these people like this. Having a form of godliness by denying the power thereof from such turn away. I don't want a church like that. I don't want a church that people turn away from. I want a church that people look at and say, hey, something's happening in that church. People are getting healed in that church. People are getting delivered in that church. People are getting saved in that church. That's the kind of church I want to have. I want to have a church just like the early church in the book of Acts. But we're still, we're just a continuation of that. We shouldn't veer off and say, well, I know what happened in the early church. But that Holy Ghost stuff, that was just for the early church to get started. I'm going to tell you something. We need it more now to finish the church, get it wrapped up, and get it prepared for Jesus' return. Because he said he's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The church ain't looking like that right now. We need to be getting this church ready for Jesus. So the day of Pentecost is to be celebrated by every born-again believer regardless of that denomination. We all need the power of the Holy Ghost. and Because if we're going to finish building this church and usher in the second coming of Christ, we got to get busy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. We're not, I'm not putting down talking in tongues or the gift of the Spirit or anything like that. But it's much more than that. Yes. I, I mean, we can't be Pentecostal and think we have a corner on Pentecost. We don't. Pentecost began over 2,000 years ago. Pentecostals only came about at the turn of the 20th century in a little place called Azusa Street. Pentecostals are only 100 years old. The church that was evolved out of Pentecost is over 2,000 years old. That's who we need to hook up with. Not a denomination. We need to be hooked up with the church of Jesus Christ. But we can't do it without the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We need the fire of Pentecost. The same fire that fell on the first day of Pentecost. The same fire. We need that today. And you know why I know we don't have it? Because if we had it, we would be anxious to get out there and get people saved. we got family members that are dying and going to hell. And we ain't even witnessed to them yet. We would be praying more. We'd be studying the word more. We wouldn't be missing church because we got the sniffles or a broken fingernail. We'd be excited every time we heard the name of Jesus. It wouldn't be just a routine. It wouldn't be just, oh, usual praise or something. We would really get an excitement inside of us because I'm telling you every time the name of Jesus is mentioned, the Holy Ghost will jump on the inside of you. Just like that baby Jesus jumped on the inside of Mary. He he gets excited. He can't help it. He's excited when he hears the name of Jesus. He's excited when he hears the word. He's like, let me add it. Let me add it. Give me something to do. Speak the word. Hallelujah. And we just sit there. And if you've lost that fire, I'm not saying you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. Because once filled, you're always filled. He said, everybody with you friends. But you let him lie dormant in your life. You need to stir him up. He's just a burning ember on the inside of you right now. He needs to become that blazing fire that he was on the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. And if you don't have that, you need it. Especially in these last days. Or you're going to get run over by the devil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for Pentecost. 
We celebrate Pentecost today because it is a great celebration. It's the day that you birthed your church. Hallelujah. The same church that you said the gates of hell shall not prevail against, that's the church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And we're still living in Pentecost because the church is still being added to David. The church is still being, uh, people are still being saved and brought to the church. And disciples are still being made. We're living in Pentecost. We're living in the church age. And we need to work while it's still light because once it gets dark, it'll be too late. Lord, we know that you're looking forward to a harvest. Uh, we celebrate the harvest. And, and we look forward to your harvest, the harvest of souls. And it's more than just having a harvest of money to come in or a harvest of material things or a harvest of this or that. You're only concerned with one harvest, and that's the harvest of soul. And, Lord, we fell short on getting that done for you. We repent this morning, God. We ask you to forgive us as a church. Forgive me and Pastor Ed as pastors, Lord, because if our church failed, it's because we failed. And so, Lord, we repent today. We want a fresh new infilling of the Holy Ghost, a fresh new empowerment. We want that fire stirred up again in us, Lord. We want to be excited when we hear your name again. We want to be excited when we hear that somebody got saved. We want to be excited when we hear that somebody got healed or delivered of some stinking disease or some uh, addiction of some type. We've lost that excitement. We've lost that fire, Lord. We want it back. Fill us each and every one again, Lord. Refill us. Stir us up. Get us back to that place where we get excited when we hear the name of Jesus again. We get excited when we hear about going to church. We look forward to going to church, Lord. We don't try to figure out how am I going to get out of it this week. No, we, we start looking forward to it. Monday morning, we can't wait till Wednesday. And then Thursday morning, we can't wait till Sunday. That's the excitement we want to get back for. And God, I ask you to touch each and every one that will in our Facebook audience this morning. God, that you fill them. Fill them with the Holy Ghost. And God, I, speaking in tongues is important. The gifts of the Spirit is important. But I just want them to get filled right now. And God, you told us catch the fish, not clean them. So we're just getting filled right now. And whether they speak in tongues or not, God, they can still go out and get people saved. I never heard Billy Graham speak in tongues, but he has a harvest of souls following him into heaven, Lord. So we thank you and praise you for the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. We thank you and, pray and praise you for the movement that you set forward on that day of Pentecost in that upper room with just 120. Now, I know that there's over 60 million Pentecostals in the world, tongue-talking, Bible-thumping, devil-chasing uh, Pentecostals, Lord. But we need more, hallelujah. We need more for this harvest that's coming. Uh, the harvest is big. You said the laborers are, are few. And it's not that there's uh, few laborers. It's just that there's few compared to this harvest that you have on your heart. So we want to be a part of that. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. We look forward to a new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Facebook family, we love you and appreciate you. God bless you. Be safe and be careful.
This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.